Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapter three. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. The man said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Hmm. Who told you that you were naked? Now, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you, Adam, not to eat? Now, is it that the omnipotent God, the all-knowing God, doesn't know the answer? Who told you that you were naked? What's God doing there? He's giving Adam a chance to repent. He's asking them that question. And Adam could have come forward and said, Lord, I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. I know you told me not to eat from the tree, but I did. I did. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. And a contrite heart, God would not spurn. God gives Adam a chance to repent. But is that what Adam does? The man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The woman that thou gavest to be with me. First, he blames God Almighty. You created her! Did you catch that? He blames God first. Blaming God first. God first. Then her. The woman that thou gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So second, he throws Eve under the bus. That's the first marital discord in the Bible. The woman that thou gavest, you did it, God. Do you ever blame God for something in your life? I mean, I didn't think my life was going to go this way, God. I mean, I didn't think I'd have cancer four times. I didn't think I didn't. I didn't think I was going to get divorced. I didn't think I was going to. I didn't think we didn't have no job right now. I didn't think the kid was going to have a mental problem. Do you ever blame God for something? Because Proverbs nineteen three tells us, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. We blame God. The message puts it this way. I don't usually go to the message. But the message says people ruin their lives by their own stupidity. So why does God always get blamed? We like to blame God. Why did you do this to me, God? You know, why am I handicapped? Why did my loved one die? Why did my wife pass away? Do you ever blame God for something? That's something to take to prayer. The Lord God said next to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I ate. That's pretty much what happened. She's very truthful. That's exactly what happened. I looked up what beguile means, to charm or enchant someone, sometimes in a deceptive way. That's exactly when he slithered into her ear. Synonyms for beguile, to allure, to bewitch, to captivate, to charm, to enchant, to fascinate, to kill, to magnetize, wile, or witch with uh, malignant supernatural powers. The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. Then God doles out the curses. And every party gets a curse. We'll start with the serpent. God's curse to the serpent is this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle, above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Who is made of dust? 
Oh, Satan feeds on the very matter that man is made of. He's a man-eater. You know that song? I will put enmity, serpent, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. One problem, seed translates to spermatos. That's a male attribute in the Greek. The, the, between your seed and her seed, women don't have spermatos. They have eggs. Interesting. He, her spermatos, will bruise your head, and you, Mr. Serpent, will bruise his heel. So one, uh, her offspring's going to crush his head. He's going to nip at his heel. One's a fatal blow, the other's a nip. This is the Proto-Evangelium, the very first good news of the Bible, the very first gospel, Genesis 3.15, a Savior's coming, a Savior's coming, born of virgin woman that's going to crush the head of you, Satan. Now, God's curse on all women, on the woman, on this woman. The, to the woman, the Lord God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Well, she doesn't have any children yet, so she doesn't know if it's going to be worse or not. She didn't know what it was, you know? So, okay, you know, pain in childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. And ladies who have had babies, you know, it's kind of smarts a little bit, right? But we made up something. With the tree of knowledge, we made epidurals. And so now it's not so bad. Here's the worst curse for her. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Oh, rule, dominate, control, Lord. Some of the translations say, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now that's a curse. That, and I'm, I'm, that, no, it's, it's wreaked havoc on our fallen world. And you guys know it. Let's do a fact check again. Because in the beginning, when God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them with absolute equal dignity in his own image and his own likeness. Male and female were equal. You could even argue that woman was the climax of all creation. She was the crowning jewel of all creation. And she had one thing that Adam didn't have, a womb that would hold life of the Savior, right? It'd be his temple to grow in for nine months. And so you could argue that woman was even elevated a little higher, but let's just say they're equal. But after the fall, after the fall, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. He's going up, she's going down. It's not equal anymore. This is a fallen world. This is disorder. This is not in the beginning. It was not so. Now, in a fallen world, in a disordered world, man will rule over women. Adam, King Adam, who named all the creatures, is soon going to name Eve because he rules over her. He has dominion over her. He's Lord over her. Adam got named by God because Adam had no name but man, but now God's going to name Adam and Adam's going to name Eve. Ah, they're not quite on same par anymore. It's a new chain of command in a fallen world. God's going to rule over Adam, naming her. Adam will rule over Eve, naming her, naming him, naming her. But in the beginning, it was not so. It was not supposed to be like that. And if you don't know that, then you get it all mixed up. So always remember what it was like in the beginning. Before the fall, they were partakers of God's divine nature. They were walking and talking with God the Father in the garden, the tree of life. They could have freely eaten from Jesus 
in the middle of the garden. They could have drank from the river of life, the Holy Spirit running through the garden. St. Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We were called to be partakers of his divine nature by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. It can be rewrited in Christ, but most people don't live in Christ. We are baptized into Christ and we treat men and women with equal dignity and respect, but the rest of the world still has this ruling, men are ruling. If you're not living in Christ who rewrited it again, then you're living as a fallen, disordered world. And that's the curse of unredeemed woman, that Adam as king, as ruler, will assign a name to her and rule over her. And now it's all topsy-turvy. The world is disordered. This was not God's original plan. And that's why we have the Women's March every year. And that's why we have angry women. And it's still to this day. Now, God's curse to man. What happened to man? To Adam. Now, this first time God calls him Adam. Genesis 3, verse 17. Now God has assigned a name to him. To Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. This is a real lesson for men. Never listen to the voice of your wife. <laughs> you know I'm teasing. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. God does not curse Adam. He does not curse his personhood or his dignity. God curses the ground because of Adam. Now, we must always listen to God above and beyond any other voices in our life, beyond the voice of anyone else, wife, husband, children, because the voice of God is the most important voice for all history of all time. But the kids say, well, everybody's doing it. They listen to all these other voices. And mom and dad, can we do this? Because everybody's doing it. Have you ever heard that? Everybody's doing it. But we, especially the male of the household, the authority of the household has got to listen to God above all other voices in his life. And how is he going to know the voice of God? He has to know God's word. He has to know God's heart. He has to know God's mind. And so he has to be in God's word and know God's word. So we can defend God's word and listen to that voice instead of the voice of the fallen world. So Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed now is the ground because of you and in toil you shall eat of it from the ground all the days of your life. And on his way out, you see the angel handing him a shovel. So he can go till up the cursed ground because everything's changed. We are not in Kansas anymore. Thorns and thistles, the ground will bring you now. Thorns and thistles, it will bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field now. No more this nice, beautiful garden that I made you where everything's jumbo size and you just go pick it every morning. Now you're going out to the field. You shall eat plants of the field. This is way different than, than the garden. Eden was a luscious garden that God planted in the east. It was amazing. But now Adam has to plant fields. Work has changed because God says in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Eat bread. What's that? We never heard of bread. We just have plants and animals. What is this? 
Wait, how do they know what bread is? How do they know what bread is in Genesis chapter 3? You should all be asking this. You should have stopped right there when you were reading this and said, what the heck, what is this bread in here for? Work is going to be different after the fall. It has a new meaning. Work is good. It's inherently good. But now it's different for Adam with thorns and thistles and sweat of his face to make bread. They're going to have to work for bread now, which they don't even know what bread is. Or do they? The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. He put the man who he had formed there, this beautiful garden that God planted out of the ground. The Lord God made every kind of tree that was pleasant for sight to grow. It was good for food. It was very tame and domesticated. But now Adam has to plant fields with thorn and thistles and sweat. Now remember those two trees. The original trees in the Garden of Eden, we learned last week about the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden, right in the middle. And we learned about another tree that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees are specifically mentioned by God. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden. The Jews say it's on the top of the Mount Eden. It's where the true presence of God is. They say now it's where the temple sits, where the Holy of Holies would have been and the true presence of God would have been. But there's also another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now that they've eaten from that tree, everything has changed. Did they have bread before the fall? We don't hear of them eating at all from the tree of life. We're never told they ate from that one. God told them about it, but we never know if they ate from it. But we do know that they ate from the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's documented in scripture. We know that they ate from the dreaded tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what type of fruit was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The rabbis wondered this and they debated it for hours and days and months and years on end. What kind of fruit was exactly on the tree that they ate from? Now I looked up fruit in the dictionary. It is a noun. It's a fleshy product of a tree or other plant that contains seed and can be eaten as food. And because of all the Western art, our minds are conditioned to think of that fruit as an apple, right? All the paintings show it's an apple. Well, in the Bashit Rabbah at 15.7, the, this records the discussion of the Hebrew rabbis having a marvelous conversation about what type of fruit it really was. And some of the rabbis reasoned that it was a fig tree. And they thought that it just makes sense because the man and woman covered themselves with fig leaf aprons. So it had to be a fig tree. Or did it? Other rabbis, Rabbi Judah bar Eli, said that perhaps it was grapes because Adam and Eve brought bitterness into the world like sour, bitter grapes. Maybe grapes are one of the Holy Land fruits. But Rabbi Mir believed that they ate wheat as it was one of the most earliest domesticated grains known to mankind. It was considered to be a source and a symbol of wisdom. Hmm... She wanted to be made wise. Another rabbi, Rabbi Samuel, argued that wheat was not a tree. But he was told by Rabbi Zeire that in the Garden of Eden, there were stalks of wheat that were like trees, for they grew to the heights of the cedars of Lebanon. Hmm, interesting. And... Wheat represents knowledge in Torah thought because a child is considered to have attained a certain level of intellectual maturity only after he or she has tasted wheat. So only when they're old enough to eat bread do they have knowledge. 
Hmm. Now, some of the rabbis argued that wheat was originally meant to grow on a tree, not as a grain, but as bread already baked. <laughs> you laugh. You laugh. You laugh. All right, people. Already baked bread growing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wheat is technically classified as a fruit. I looked it up. I'm a science teacher. The carapoces is particularly call, popularly called a grain, and it is the fruit typical of the family porosae or graminae, which includes wheat. It's a fruit. The wheat berry, each grain. And after the first sin, this tree, which once grew ready-made baked goods, was reduced to a lowly plant, which has to be harvested and processed to produce flour. Thus, work has greatly changed. Adam could no longer just pick baked bread from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, in toil, you shall eat of the cursed ground all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field and the sweat of your face of your brow shall you eat bread. I always stumbled over that bread and never knew what it meant. After the sin, the tree of knowledge, which would once grow ready-made baked goods, was reduced to a lowly plant which had to be harvested with much labor and sweat to produce flour. And now by the sweat of man's brow would he work the cursed ground. Everything changed after the fall. But in the beginning, it was not so. Now with thorns and thistles, they would labor to make bread. As Eve bore more children in pain as the mother of all the living, yet her children were spiritually dead, Adam would have to work harder because there were more mouths to feed. They had to survive. They've been banished from the garden. But still, God allowed them in marriage to co-create with him to reflect that Trinitarian life. Now, wheat is very, 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 very important to this day. Last year, 734.74 million metric tons of wheat were produced in the world. Wheat is the most widely grown crop in the world for human consumption. Number one, for human consumption, it provides 20% of the daily protein and of the food calories for 4.5 billion people. There is an unsettling irony about wheat. The variant that was grown in biblical times and that we still grow today cannot survive in the wild. Hmm. Wheat has a tough rashi. If you've ever felt wheat, the bit that attaches to the seeds to the ear, it's rough, meaning that the wheat cannot disperse itself naturally, but it has to have human sowing. A human has to plant wheat. It can't just by the wind blow and plant. Interesting. Wheat was genetically modified in its earliest incarnation. Hmm. I think that's the moment of the fall. A, a wild grass that humans have tamed so much that it can no longer self perpetuate. That was on a science website that wheat was genetically modified at its earliest incarnation. Wheat needs a sower. Immediately after the fall, man was also genetically modified. His spiritual DNA was spiritually genetically modified and passed on to all his children. He now carried original sin and so would his children and the rest of the human race. And humans could not save themselves. We couldn't plant ourselves. Humanity needs a savior. Man having been wounded, 
by his nature of original sin, is subject to error and inclined to evil in exercising his freedom now. In a fallen world, concupiscence has entered, Catechism 1714. So the wheat's been genetically modified, we've been genetically modified. The wheat needs a sower, we need a savior. Jesus tells a parable about both in the parable of the sower. Jesus is the new Adam who sows the new wheat seed. What's the condition of your own heart soil? Are you going to receive the seed of grain of wheat or not? It's all about you and your heart. How open are you? What is your yes? Are you resistant? A sower went out to sow. He sowed. Some of the seeds fell along the hard path. The birds came and devoured the wheat seeds. Others fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil. A hard heart. Immediately they sprang up, but there was no depth of the soil. When the sun came, it scorched them. They had no root. They rooted away. Other seeds fell upon thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them out. So the sower, Jesus, is the Word of God. He plants the wheat seeds, the Word, in our hearts. What's the condition of your own heart soil to receive his word, to receive his seed? He also says at the climax of John's gospel in John chapter 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, the cursed earth, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is that grain of wheat that falls to the earth and dies, but he rises from death to feed the entire world a new bread from his new tree of life, which is his body. And we as Catholics eat the bread and we become the bread that we eat. You are what you eat. You eat Jesus, you become Jesus. You're sanctified in some way because it's called the medicine of immortality. We were immortal, we lost that, and we became mortal because we mortally sinned. But the, the Eucharist, the wheat, wafer, the leaves of the tree, they're the medicine of immortality. The catechism calls them the antidote for death. You want to live forever? It's the antidote for death to eat the Eucharist. The food that makes us live forever in Jesus Christ. It's him. The Catechism at 1405 says there is no surer pledge or dearer sign of this great hope in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells than the Eucharist. Every time this mystery is celebrated, the work of our redemption is carried on and we break the one bread that provides the medicine of immortality, the antidote for death, the food that makes us live forever in Christ Jesus. Jesus in all four Gospels predicted the Eucharist when he multiplied the bread, fed 5,000. They all ate and were completely satisfied. They had 12 baskets left over. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you won't be hungry. I am the bread of life. Isaiah said, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you labor in that cursed ground for what does not satisfy? Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, for which the Son of Man will give you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. The disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread. I am the bread of life, eternal life. If you eat me, you'll never die. Oh, well, surely he was using figurative language. No, not this time. 
Because half of them left. More than half of them left that day. They said, I can't hear that. I can't. That, I'm, I'm out of here. This guy's crazy. And he didn't go running after him and say, come back, come back. I was just kidding. I was using figurative language. That was a hyperbole followed by a metaphor. No. And for his final meal, the very last time they were together, you think he'd make some great, wonderful speech. This is it, guys. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body. The bodiliness of this. This is my body. Sacrament, sign, visible to the world, which is given for you. Do this in memory of me. Now the rabbi said this in the future. When the sin of the forbidden fruit will be rectified, the tree of knowledge will be restored to its former glory. Hmm. I think they're wrong that it's not the tree of knowledge, is it? It's the tree of life. And it's told to us in the last chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth. He showed me, John, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. Perpetual fruit, always fruit, all the time on the tree. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, all the nations, it's universal. And there shall be no more be anything accursed. All the curses are reduced, uh, re reversed. All the curses are undone. Nothing is accursed anymore. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it and his servants shall worship him. They shall see him face to face again. And his name will be written on their foreheads. Baptism, you're marked for him. And the night shall be no more. They need no more light or lamp or sun. What's that? You're in the perpetual light, the unchanging light, the uncreated light of God in luminous glory again. And the Lord God will be their light and they shall reign forever and ever. So all Jesus wants for us is life. And his cross becomes the new tree of life with free bread that you don't have to labor for. It's all free for the taking once for all, for all eternity perpetually there. And we even have monstrances showing the tree of life with Jesus there. He wants us to take, he wants us back in full communion with him, true communion with the Trinity. And he allows us once again to partake in the divine nature of God that we were created for. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we praise and thank you. Jesus, the tree of life, the bread that you want to feed us, you want to heal us, our woundedness, our brokenness, our shame. And you want to breathe on us the breath of the Holy Spirit that you breathed on the apostles when you appeared to them in your resurrected, glorified body. You breathed on them. And the last time you had breathed on man was at the creation of Adam. And you told them, those 11 in a new priesthood, that they had the power and the authority from you, the risen God, to forgive sin or retain sin. We thank you that there's a way back. We thank you that we can eat your body. We thank you that it's medicine of immortality and that you want us, that you want us, that you want us to share your own blessed life for our own happiness for all eternity. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapter three, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit Seeking Truth. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.